Hi, it's Amy Siskin of The Weekly List and author of the book, The List, and welcome to episode 46 of The Weekly List Podcast, which accompanies week 128 on The Weekly List website, theweeklylist.org, and corresponds to the week ended April 27, 2019. Welcome. Starting off this week, I just want to note that last night was the White House Correspondents' Dinner. This is the third year in a row out of three that Trump has skipped attending. Not normal. And something else interesting has happened in the time since he's taken office. We no longer have a comedian as the main speaker at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. It was this year a historian, Ron Chernow. And If you didn't have a chance to listen to his remarks, it's worth looking them up. There's a certain comfort to hear some of the other dark times in our country's history, and there will be light on the other side of this, because this week felt particularly dark. Um, Just as background, our Congress has been on break for the last two weeks, so it sort of had this home alone feel to it again with Trump in D.C., acting unilaterally, and none of the adults there to supervise. Um, We're going to go through some of the things this week that sound a lot like a constitutional crisis or like we're heading there. Um, And I want to open up by talking about the fact, and we're going to get into more detail about that, but one of the most important things that happened this week is that Trump seems to be driving this decision that none of his current or former members of his regime will cooperate and testify in front of Congress, including some who have been subpoenaed, nor will they supply documents that have been subpoenaed. Uh, The New York Times editorial board um, wrote an op-ed, it's mentioned in this week's list as one of the bullets, but they, they warned that even though some past presidents have from time to time Um, use executive privilege to not abide by subpoenas or not abide by congressional um, powers, that Trump is, quote, effectively declaring lawmakers powerless over him. This, warn the experts, puts the nation in uncharted territory and threatens to erode its democratic foundations. So that's something I've been saying for two and a half years, but we are now here, folks. Uh, Trump is, again, thumbing his nose at Congress. Um, We're also going to be talking about some of the other outcomes of the Mueller report, which came out last week, late last week. Again, a highly redacted version. One out of three pages have at least a word blacked out. Some pages are entirely blacked out, and much of it is relating to the Russia probe and Russian interference. Um, But this week, Trump continued, and he and his regime together, um, to not only dismiss Mueller and the angry Democrats, but also the import of Russian interference. And there's some alarming reporting of Trump's indifference to almost hostility towards preparing us for 2020, even as FBI Director Christopher Wray said Moscow's interference in the past has been a, quote, dress rehearsal for the 2020 presidential contest. So we're going to go through some of the items here, folks, but there's a lot of talk this week as we hear this podcast in his story Um, and people listen to this in the future. This is a week when we were really very concerned about whether we will have a fair election in 2020. After reading the Mueller report and some of the other things that happened this week, whether Trump is essentially going to roll out the red carpet to let Putin come back in to help him. So I'm going to start off this week um, just to sort of give a feel for what the country is enduring. Uh, A Gallup study found a sharp increase in the United States from 2017 to 2018 of feelings of stress, which increased from 49% of people feel stressed to 55%, worry, 40% to 45%, and anger, 17% to 22% of Americans feel anger. All of these are record levels since the poll was started. The study also found Americans' stress rate was one of the highest out of the 143 countries studied, beating the global average of 35% by 20 points 
So again, that's how stressed out Americans are where we sit today. Now we're going to go through this attempt by Trump and his regime to reshape the narrative um, coming out of the Mueller probe and the redacted report. On Sunday, as Trump's team was working to reshape that narrative, Rudy Giuliani said on State of the Union that there is, quote, nothing wrong with taking information from Russians. Yes, he said that. Giuliani also said that former White House counsel Don McGahn was not lying, but hopelessly confused and wrong. Later Sunday on Meet the Press, Giuliani said the decision to use information stolen by a foreign adversary, quote, depends on where it came from and, quote, depends on the stolen material. So again, pay attention to how they're trying to shape this narrative this week. On Sunday, House Judiciary Chair Gerald Nadler told Meet the Press he would call McGahn to testify before his committee. Nadler also said some of Trump's actions outlined in the Mueller report may warrant impeachment, saying, quote, we may get to it, we may not, adding his committee would, quote, go where the evidence leads us. On Sunday, House Oversight Chair Elijah Cummings told Face the Nation, if the House voted to impeach, but the Senate did not, quote, I think history would smile upon us for standing up for the Constitution. And then Wacko, on Sunday in a series of tweets, Trump touted a New York Times op-ed saying, quote, do you believe this? The New York Times op-ed, media and Democrats owe Trump an apology, adding, quote, well, they got that one right. Trump also tweeted he went through, quote, the worst and most corrupt political witch hunt in U.S. history, adding, quote, when it was the other side that illegally created the diversionary and criminal event and even spied. So in addition to trying to change the narrative, Trump this week, we're going to be talking about the notion of investigating the investigators and trying to switch the narrative to what the Democrats did. Um, again, conspiracy theories and lies, but that's a good part of this week. Just before attending an Easter service on Sunday, Trump tweeted, quote, despite no collusion, no obstruction, the radical left Democrats do not want to go on to legislate, adding only to investigate and waste time. Again, the report did not find no obstruction, but Trump is continuing to lie and brand it that way. Trump also tweeted, quote, how do you impeach a Republican president for a crime that was committed by the Democrats? Adding, quote, make America great again. So if you're a person who doesn't read mainstream news, that only watches Fox News and follows Trump's Twitter feed, you have a vastly different version of what the truth is. You have the non-truth truth that's being fed to you by Trump and Fox News. Uh, on Sunday, after multiple bomb blasts in Sri Lanka that killed at least 138 people at that time, Trump tweeted, quote, horrible terrorist attack had killed at least 138 million people. Trump later deleted and tweeted nearly for 140 people. On Sunday, Daily Beast reported that Russian state media channels broadcast segments from Fox News host Sean Hannity's show, which bashed, quote, media hysteria over the Russia investigation. On Monday, starting in the morning, Esquire reported that Trump tweeted 50 times in a 24-hour period, several of which included clips or quotes from Fox News and retweets of allies like Representative Devin Nunes. On Monday, Trump also retweeted a series of tweets by Tom Fitton, president of Conservative Judicial Watch, including a list of names under coup, coup mandate update, who needs to be investigated. And of course, many of the same names that you saw on Trump's tweets are mentioned in the coup update. So again, this retaliation, this change of narrative, this no collusion, now we're going after the investigators. But we're not done. On Monday, Trump tweeted, quote, only high crimes and misdemeanors can lead to impeachment, adding there was no collusion, no obstruction, and tables are finally turned on the witch hunt. Trump also tweeted, isn't it amazing that the people who were closest to me were never even called to testify before Mueller, which is false. On Monday, when asked by reporters during, a White House, during the White House Easter egg roll if he was concerned about being impeached, Trump responded, not even a little bit. 
When asked if he was troubled that staffers did not follow his requests, Trump responded, nobody disobeys my orders. The Washington Post counted 15 instances of staffers disobeying Trump in the redacted Mueller report. Um, I did not outline all 50 tweets in this weekly list. I basically summarized the ones where Trump was tweeting. The retweets you can um, sort of note um, by the overall topic being Fox News and his allies. But the thing I want to point out is when he gets this neurotic with this treating, this sort of manic, 50 tweets in a day. And um, I don't have a count for the final week, but I would imagine this week, if not the longest, most prolific week of Trump tweets was certainly up there that usually precedes bad news and conflict for him. Last time he did it was right before Barr's letter and right before the Mueller report was coming out. So uh, continuing on, on Monday, uh, the, the ranking member of the House Judiciary, Doug Collins, said he has reviewed a less redacted version of the Mueller report and according to him, these Republicans are such reliable sources, it reinforces the principal conclusions made public last month. On Monday, in a call with House members, Speaker Nancy Pelosi said leaders had no immediate plans for impeachment proceedings. Reportedly, several House Democrats pushed back on leadership in the 90-minute call. Democratic leadership played down impeachment but did not rule it out completely. I found this interesting. On Tuesday, Speaker Pelosi said in an interview at Time 100 that, quote, impeachment is one of the most divisive paths that we could go down in our country. But if the path of fact-finding takes us there, we have no choice. But we're not there yet. <clears throat> On Tuesday, in a series of tweets, Trump attacked the media. This was quite a thing this morning. It started at 5.59 on Tuesday morning after the 50 tweets on Monday at 5.59, Trump attacked New York Times economist Paul Krugman for his column saying that Republicans no longer support American values, calling Krugman obsessed with hatred. Trump tweeted, quote, I wonder if the New York Times will apologize to me for a second time, adding, quote, on this one, they will have to get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. So I just need to break down this tweet. First of all, the New York Times hasn't apologized in the past, uh, but they want Trump says he wants them to apologize again, not only apologize, but get down on their knees and beg for forgiveness. That seems normal, but he wasn't done yet. Trump also tweeted that they are truly the enemy of the people. This is scary stuff, folks. Okay, so this is all happening, you know, at 6 a.m. He keeps going. Trump then tweeted, Radical left Democrats, together with leaders in the fake news media, have gone totally insane, adding the Republican agenda is working. Stay tuned for more. Trump sent a fourth tweet, tweet at 6.27 a.m., uh, which said, in the old days, a good economy would make a president immune from criticism, but under the greatest economy in history to the media, it means nothing. Trump then attacked, quote, morning psycho Joe, who helped me get elected in 2016 by having me on free all the time, saying his ratings had nosedived and angry, dumb and sick. Trump praised Fox and Friends, calling it by far the best of the morning political shows on television and quoted Fox business host Maria Bartiromo for calling him, quote, the best thing ever to happen to Twitter. So these are all tweets. Again, all of these are happening between 5.59 and shortly after 7 a.m. in the morning. So you wake up and you're like, oh, turn on my phone. What did crazy pants do this morning? Trump tweeted a reference to Obama having, quote, over 100 million Twitter followers, adding his should be higher than, than that if Twitter wasn't playing their political games. And, quote, no wonder Congress wants to get involved. And then Trump concluded at 747 his string of tweets with his classic, Keep America Great in capital letters. On Tuesday, the Washington Post reported Trump met in the Oval Office with the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, in a closed-door meeting without media. 
Reportedly, a significant portion of the meeting was spent on Trump's complaints that Twitter has limited or removed some of his followers. Again, Trump has roughly 59 million followers. Obama has over 100 million. Trump called a meeting with Twitter CEO to complain about how many people follow him. This is where we are, folks. The Washington Post reported that Twitter CEO Dorsey also called Representative Ilhan Omar on Tuesday and stood by Twitter's decision not to take down Trump's tweet that with this video that led to a flood of death threats to Representative Omar, saying the tweet did not violate its rules. Motherboard reported that Twitter does not use a proactive algorithmic solution to white supremacy like it does for ISIS because the company is concerned it would ensnare and lead to the banning of some Republican politicians, like, say, Donald Trump. On Monday, Tom Perez, and this is an important storyline, folks, so listen up. On Monday, Tom Perez, chairman of the Democratic National Committee, wrote an open letter to RNC chair Rona Romney McDaniel asking the GOP to pledge to not use stolen information in the 2020 campaigns. On Tuesday, as several 2020 Democratic presidential candidates committed to the same, the Trump re-election campaign refused to commit to rule out using hacked materials. On Tuesday, when asked if Trump will accept help from Russia in 2020, White House spokesperson Hogan Gidley said, quote, I don't understand the question and parroted the Trump's lines about Trump has denounced Russian involvement in 2016, which is actually not true. On Wednesday, when NBC News asked Vice President Mike Pence if he regretted using hacked emails or would pledge not to do so again, he also sidestepped the question and said the Mueller report found no collusion. On Tuesday, Jared Kushner said in an interview at Times 100 Summit that the idea the Trump campaign colluded with Russia is, quote, nonsense, and all Russia did was buy some Facebook ads and tried to sow dissent. Again, we know from the Mueller report, and if you haven't read it, please read it. You can also download an audio version for free at Audible. Uh, but that is certainly not what the Mueller report said, that all Facebook did was buy a few, excuse me, all Russia did was buy a few Facebook ads. But you can see how they're trying to change the narrative. On Wednesday, in an op-ed at Breitbart, Donald Jr. called the Mueller probe a, quote, attempted coup. There's that word again. Adding Russiagate was egged on by wildly irresponsible media and Democrats as tax-funded opposition research. On Tuesday, NBC News reported that shortly after the release of the redacted Mueller report, a network of more than 5,000 pro-Trump Twitter bots railed against, quote, Russiagate hoax. The bots were created last November and December and had ties to previously pushed messages backed by the government of Saudi Arabia. Twitter pulled down the accounts Sunday night, citing manipulation. Then this breaking story Wednesday by the New York Times that reported in the months before she resigned, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen was warned by Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney not to bring up Russian election interference in front of Trump. Again, she was head of the Department of Homeland Security, and that is their job to protect us, but she was told not to bring up the topic in front of Trump by his Chief of Staff. Officials said Nielsen had become increasingly concerned about Russians' continued activity during and after the 2018 midterm elections and was preparing for new and different types of interference in 2020. Mulvaney said raising Russian interference with Trump would question the legitimacy of his victory. Nielsen eventually gave up on a White House meeting of cabinet secretaries to coordinate a strategy to protect 2020. And she instead pulled together her own meetings of cabinet secretaries and agency heads two times. She fumed when 45% of the cyber defense workforce was furloughed during the government shutdown. Um, but again, folks, this is something if we wanted to have any hopes of stopping Russia, we would want the head of our country to be taking some steps to protect us. Not only is he not taking steps, he doesn't want to hear about it. And now they're denying it and saying it was just some Facebook ads. 
On Wednesday, Facebook announced it expected to be fined between three to five billion by the Federal Trade Commission for exactly this, for privacy violations. They were accused, Facebook, of not protecting user data from being harvested without their consent by Cambridge Analytica and also um, having exposed personal information of 50 million users. On Thursday, this is another story that got very little attention, super important. Politico reported the FBI will meet with with Senator Rick Scott and Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida to discuss the agency's suspicion that Russians hacked at least one county in Florida during the 2016 election. That was in the Mueller report. So again, concern that Russia hacked at least one county in Florida during the 2016 election. Governor DeSantis said at a press conference, quote, they won't tell us which county it was. Are you kidding me? Which is also kind of strange. They don't trust the governor of Florida enough to tell them which county. When former Senator Bill Nelson raised the issue of hacking during the 2018 election, Senator Scott, who the FBI will be meeting with, called it irresponsible. And then this big story on Friday, FBI Director Christopher Wray addressed the Council on Foreign Relations, saying of Russia's efforts to undermine American democracy, quote, it's pretty much a 365 days a year threat. Wray also said Russian efforts included fake news, propaganda, false personas, etc., to spin us up, pit us against each other, sow divisiveness and discord, and undermine Americans' faith in the democracy which Trump is also helping to do. Ray said Russia's efforts were, quote, at full speed during the 2018 midterms and warned Russia keeps, quote, upping their game and, quote, 2018 was just a dress rehearsal for 2020. Now back to crazy pants. On Wednesday, Trump tweeted that the Mueller report, quote, despite being written by angry Democrats and Trump haters, and with unlimited money, 35 million, which I guess they spent five more million than he tweeted last week, um, found, quote, I did nothing wrong. Trump tweeted, if Democrats tried to impeach him, he would, quote, first head to the U.S. Supreme Court, claiming there are no high crimes and misdemeanors. There are no crimes by me at all. Again, kind of a weird reflex to Trump saying, I'm going to go to the Supreme Court, sort of as if he views the Supreme Court as his or under his jurisdiction. Um, On Wednesday, Politico reported Trump has so far tweeted about the Mueller probe more than 50 times since the redacted version was released last Thursday. In addition to tweets, Trump has made inflammatory statements about witnesses, both exposing him to further charges of witness intimidation, obstruction of justice, and impeding a congressional investigation. So again, Trump is continuing to obstruct justice in the light of day, but he seems to be getting away with it, which is, you know, when I mentioned at the opening of the podcast that Congress has been out of town for two weeks, Trump is escalating things, and it's like the movie Home Alone. There's no one to babysit or hold him accountable. Trump also tweeted on uh, Wednesday this odd tweet about, I didn't call Bob Costa from the Washington Post. He called me, returned his call, which is calling him. Um, There's some reporting that we're going to talk about shortly by Bob Costa at the Washington Post on Trump's efforts to block Congress from holding him accountable. Okay, so... We're going to now talk about uh, everyday racism and a lot of action this week on Trump's other favorite topic, which is the southern border and kind of stoking the hate against others. On Monday, Trump issued a memo saying based on recent Homeland Security report, visa overstay rates are unacceptably high and a widespread problem. Really? Okay. And instructed federal agencies to consider action. Trump gave the State Department four months to recommend sanctions against countries allowing overstays. And this is important, folks. They want to focus on rates, not the number of overstays. The countries with the highest number of visa overstays are countries like China, who Trump doesn't want to piss off. But if you look at the rates, which means the number of visas and the percentage of those rate of those visas that are overstaying, um, of the 20 highest countries, uh, 
overstay rates, 13 are in Africa. So you can kind of see where we're going with that. Uh, another story this week, Custom and Border Protections announced a new holding facility in El Paso will be completed May 1st. Customs and Border Protection awarded the contract to build the facility to Deployed Resources, LLC, in a program to limit competition. Try Googling it. I did. You can't find anything about this company or who manages it, who has ownership in it. Sounds like another way to pay back somebody who donated to the inaugural committee, but hopefully reporters are digging that up for us as we speak. On Tuesday, CBS News reported Larry Hopkins, the head of United Constitutional Patriots, told the FBI that his militia group, which was stationed at the southern border, was training to assassinate former President Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. The militia group was stationed again at the border, and according to the videos, they have captured and detained about 5,600 migrants who illegally entered the country in the past 60 days. What could go wrong? So we have like militia groups patrolling our southern border who have 5,600 migrants uh, that they have detained. Like seriously, what could go wrong, folks? Uh, on Tuesday, Union Pacific Police told the United Constitutional Patriots, the ones who were plotting to assassinate Obama and Hillary and George Soros, that they would have to leave their campsite in Sunland Park, New Mexico by Friday, saying it is on private land. The group has been there since February. On Tuesday, Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McElinan, uh, Kirsten Nielsen's replacement, said the regime's family separation policy, while it did deter behavior, resulted in losing public trust, adding family separation is no longer on the table. Even as he was saying this, CNN reported, according to senior White House officials, talk of reinstating family separation is in discussion at the highest levels with Stephen Miller driving these discussions. So again, our government is not functioning in a normal way. We don't have a government. We have a dictatorship with one person deciding and Stephen Miller is his guy on immigration. So stay tuned uh, because some of these other stories seem to indicate differently. On Thursday, CBS News reported the Department of Homeland Security is exploring five cities for new locations to set up permanent shelters for unaccompanied minor children as the agency prepares for an unexpected increase in apprehensions. On Friday, the Washington Post reported the Pentagon is preparing to loosen long-standing rules that prohibit military troops from interacting with migrants entering the U.S., as part of Trump's operation along the southern border. DHS has requested the Pentagon to provide 300 troops to work as lawyers, cooks, and drivers to assist with handling a surge of migrants along the border. This would be the second waiver of the policy under Trump. Experts worry using military lawyers with little or no experience with immigration cases could slow down proceedings. The case backload is 850,000 cases now, up from 630,000 cases when Trump took office. On Tuesday, in a handwritten letter filed in the Southern District of New York, Cesar Sayoc, remember him, the one who um, pleaded guilty to million explosive devices, said attending a rally for Trump became, quote, like a newfound drug. That's comforting. On Tuesday at a town hall in Iowa, Representative Stephen King compared his experience with being censored in the House with the suffering of Jesus, saying, quote, I have a better insight into what he went through. On Tuesday, the Supreme Court heard arguments, and this is really troubling, tr arguments on Trump's census, census citizenship question. We've been talking a lot about that. The five conservative judges seemed poised to allow the regime to add the question. The decision will be announced in late June. Adding the question could have broad effects. An estimated 6.5 million people might not be counted, reducing Democrats' representation and funding when congressional districts are allocated in 2021. And then if you wonder why they're doing this, on Tuesday, a report by the Census Bureau found Hispanic turnout surged from 27% in 2014 midterms to 40% in 2018, the largest increase of any group. 
Latino voters supported, supported Democrats by a wide margin. On Wednesday, the Florida House passed legislation requiring people to pay criminal fines and fees before they can vote. In the 2018 midterms, Florida had voted to repeal the state's lifelong voting ban for felony convictions, but now they're back at it again, saying you have to pay fines and fees before you can vote. On Tuesday, Andy McGean, Iowa's longest-serving Republican lawmaker, announced he is switching to become a Democrat, citing Trump as a, quote, poor example for the nation and particularly for our children. On Tuesday, an Oregon judge granted a preliminary injunction blocking new federal restrictions by the Trump regime, which bar taxpayer-funded family planning clinics from referring patients to abortion providers. On Thursday, a Washington state judge also temporarily blocked the Trump regime from implementing a ban on abortion referrals at federal-funded family planning clinics. On Wednesday, John Ducey, mayor of Brick Township in New Jersey, apologized for telling people complaining about parks and beaches being invaded and ruined by Hasidic and Orthodox Jews, telling them to call the police. On Friday, BuzzFeed reported Trump's Mar-a-Lago received 58 applications from U.S. workers from 2014 to mid-2018, but hired just one, instead bringing in some 375 low-wage workers on short-term visas. So don't do as we do, do as we say. Like we only allow in these short-term visas from people from countries that we hate so they can be cheap workers at Mar-a-Lago and other Trump properties. On Saturday, Huffball reported the military is investigating four more servicemen for possible ties to white nationalist group Identity Europa, raising the total number of investigation under investigation to 11. Now on to the Fed. On Monday, Trump said he would not nominate his, quote, friend, Herman Cain, for a seat on the Federal Reserve Board, tweeting Cain, quote, a truly wonderful man has asked me not to nominate him. On Monday, CNN reported on a number of interviews with and columns by Trump's other nominee, Stephen Moore, from 2000 to 2003, in which he expressed extremely sexist views of women in sports. Moore said his statements were a spoof. On Tuesday, Moore invoked Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh on a conservative radio show, saying they're pulling a Kavanaugh against me. On Wednesday, he said he would bow out if he becomes a liability. But of course, he hasn't bowed out, and Trump loves people that do stuff like that. So you can imagine Trump's going to stick with him. On Tuesday, Trump reversed course on attacking Harley-Davidson. Remember Harley-Davidson? After the company reported a 27% drop in first quarter, quarter profits because of his tariff. Vowing in a tweet, so unfair to U.S., we will reciprocate. So now Trump said he's going to go after the UK, excuse me, the, the European Union, where he had imposed tariffs that caused Harley-Davidson's earnings to go down, uh, as opposed to Harley-Davidson and telling his supporters to boycott their products. On Tuesday, and it, it, it's hard to make this stuff up. Like I, I talked early on about the tweet about saying 138 million people died in Sri Lanka, Week by week, it's, you know, I, I sometimes joke, you know, the days of, that we haven't been an international embarrassment in this country with Trump in charge. This is the stuff that happens day in, day out. So on, on Tuesday, as Trump planned his next visit over the summer to the United Kingdom for June, um, a group of MPs called on Prime Minister Theresa May and the government to rescind the invitation for a full state visit. Uh, but they gave him a full state visit invitation. And how does he repay them? On Wednesday, the day after accepting an invitation from Queen Elizabeth II, Trump tweeted a baseless accusation that the UK helped Obama spy on his 2016 campaign. Trump cited a claim by Larry Johnson, a former CIA analyst and blogger who has made past false allegations. U.S. and Britain, British intelligence vehemently denied the claim when it first surfaced two years ago. So again, he accepts the invitation to go to the UK and then accuses them of working with the Obama administration to spy on his 2016 campaign. Uh, crazy land. 
On Tuesday, NBC News reported that the Interior Department's Office of Inspector General has opened investigations of six Trump senior department appointees over possible ethical misconduct. The complaint outlined how, despite a Trump executive order requiring employees to recuse themselves, the six continue to discuss policy matters with organizations that had employed them in the past. We also reported last week, folks, don't forget that the new, um, shortly after being confirmed, the new head of the Interior Department is also being investigated within days. On Thursday, Interior Department Secretary David Bernhardt told the Wall Street Journal that the regime has indefinitely sidelined its plans to dramatically expand offshore drilling after a ruling by a federal judge in Alaska. So I just want to stop and point out here, we talked about two stories in Washington state and in Oregon, where judges essentially were blocking Trump's new policy of taking away funding for for any clinics that refer uh, to places where you can get an abortion. It is, again, our judicial branch that is doing the work of saving us. And look how quickly Trump is also working with McConnell to transform our judicial branch. So just something to pay attention to how that's happening at a record pace. And at the same time, the only branch that seems to be holding Trump to account successfully. Because the legislative branch has not been having such luck. We're going to talk about that now, starting with the first story on Monday. This is super important, folks. Congressional oversight is part of separations of power. And Trump blocking this, to me, is the most alarming thing that's happened this week. And there are many alarming things. It started on Monday when the Trump Organization sued House Oversight Chair Elijah Cummings and Mazars USA, seeking a court order to block the House subpoena for eight years of Trump's financial statements. Again, Mazars USA is his accounting firm. On Monday, the White House told Carl Klein, who oversaw security clearances and now works for the Defense Department, not to comply with a subpoena from House Democrats to be interviewed. On Tuesday, Representative Cummings said in a letter that the White House and Klein, quote, now stand in open defiance of a duly authorized congressional subpoena, saying he will consult about scheduling a vote on contempt. Elijah Cummings, by the way, has been a star. On Monday, the House Judiciary Committee subpoenaed McGahn, that's the former White House counsel, to testify on May 21st and requested documents related to several incidents detailed in the Mueller redacted report to be delivered delivered by May 7th. On Tuesday, Secretary Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said in a letter to House Ways and Meads Committee, Chairman Richard Neal, that he would miss the April 23rd deadline for providing Trump's tax returns. Mnuchin questioned the legitimacy of the request, while Trump's attorney called it a politically motivated fishing expedition. Mnuchin said he would make his final decision by May 6th. Okay, so just look at all the things that they're not willing. No document, no financial documents from Mazars USA, no tax returns, blocking Klein, blocking McCann. McGahn from testifying, but we're not done yet. On Tuesday, in an interview with the Washington Post, Trump said he is opposed to White House aides testifying in Congress, period, saying it was unnecessary since the White House had already cooperated in the Mueller probe. Trump said the White House counsel's office has, quote, not made a final decision about asserting executive privilege, but he opposes cooperating with House Democrats, saying, quote, I don't want people testifying to a party. That's what Congress, this is partisan, folks. This is the way our government works. Hello. (sighs) Okay, on on Tuesday, the Washington Post reported Trump's White House plans to fight the House Judiciary subpoena to have McGahn testify. McGahn was mentioned more than 150 times in the redacted Mueller report. McGahn's lawyer, William Burke, started discussions about testimony with the House Judiciary Committee on Monday. A friend of McGahn said he is not eager to testify. He's also not reluctant, but will cooperate with a subpoena. On Wednesday, the DOJ said Deputy Assistant General John Gore will not comply with a House Oversight Committee subpoena to testify about the Trump regime's addition of a citizenship question to the census. 
Chairman Cummings, who had a very busy week, said Gore and the DOJ had not claimed any legally valid privilege and could be held in contempt. And Gore's behavior, he said, was, quote, part of a massive, unprecedented, and growing pattern of obstruction. On Wednesday, the Washington Post reported in a letter to Representative Cummings, Counsel Pat Cipollone said the White House will not allow Stephen Miller to testify before the Oversight Committee on the regime's immigration policy. Cipollone uh, offered to make a cabinet secretary or other agency leaders available instead. Democrats are concerned that although Miller has not been confirmed by the Senate, he is effectively in charge of immigration. We're not done yet. On Wednesday, the New York Times reported the Mueller report also revealed Trump fixated on wanting former Attorney General Jeff Sessions to target a political rival, Hillary Clinton, in ways not seen since Nixon's presidency. The Mueller report revealed three times that Trump pressured Sessions, including calling him at home in the middle of the night in 2017, to order him to reverse his recusal and ordered the prosecution of Hillary Clinton. There was no evidence Sessions acted on Trump's orders to reopen the FBI case, and it is not known what effect Trump's orders will have on House Democrats' decision to move forward on impeachment. On Wednesday, Giuliani warned on Fox and Friends that Hillary committed obstruction of justice during the investigation into her private email server, adding the days of you cannot indict a Clinton are over. So again, going, you know, as a, going after political rivals, going after the people that investigate you, that was all part of the theme this week, that and refusing to cooperate. On Thursday, Trump tweeted that, quote, it has been incorrectly reported by the fake news media saying, quote, I never told then White House counsel Don McGahn to fire Robert Mueller, even though I had the legal right to do so. Trump also tweeted, if I wanted to fire Mueller, I didn't need McGahn to do it. I could have done it myself, adding that he let the illegal investigation, and then in parens, there was no crime, headed by a Trump hater to continue. So again, folks, we saw the Mueller report that what McGahn said, that he was told by, by Trump to fire Robert Mueller, but did not follow through with it. Trump is now lying. It's the first time Thursday morning in a tweet. I never told then White House counsel Don McGahn to fire Robert Mueller. First time he lied. On Thursday, um, McGahn's lawyer Burke pushed back on Trump, calling McGahn a liar, and said in a statement that McGahn's conversation with Trump had been accurately described in the Mueller report. In other words, Trump did tell him to fire McCann, did fire Mueller. On Thursday, when asked about the White House subpoenaing McGahn, Trump told reporters, we're fighting all the subpoenas. Look, these aren't like impartial people. The Democrats are trying to win 2020. Again, it's not an excuse for not cooperating. Congress is partisan. On Thursday, the Washington Post reported Trump's attacks on McGahn are driven by his growing belief that Democrats will use McGahn's testimony as a cornerstone of possible impeachment against him, a la John Dean and Nixon. Reporting also indicated that Trump is the one driving the standoff with Congress. He's watching television and urging everyone around him, from Giuliani to Cipollone, to take a hard line and not cooperate. So there had been some speculation. There was a whisperer that was advising him. No, no whisperer. It was Trump himself making these decisions to not cooperate with Congress. On Thursday, Politico reported Trump allies are urging him to stop talking and tweeting about Mueller, calling his continued attacks a, quote, complete and utter disaster, which will generate more negative news cycles. On Thursday, NBC News reported that as part of its counterintelligence mission, the FBI is continuing to investigate Russian attempts to influence the Trump regime before and after the 2016 election. The FBI will assess the national security damage caused by senior members of the Trump campaign and transition team meeting with a sophisticated foreign adversary. Democrats have demanded to be briefed. 
So then we start to sort of take in the whole of what we're consuming, all these, you know, denials by Trump of cooperating, of pushing back on subpoenas, of asserting executive privilege, or maybe thinking about that. On Thursday, the LA Times editorial board noted Trump has declared himself immune from congressional oversight, adding we will soon find ourselves in a constitutional crisis, like when Nixon resisted subpoenas for tapes. So we're starting to hear the word constitutional crisis this week. On Thursday, Trump called in. This was, you know, we are in bizarro world, folks. One of the things we have normalized are these rambling interviews Trump does and the rambling rallies full of lies and misinformation and propaganda. One thing I've noticed as I try to keep the list, it's harder and harder to get reporters covering this stuff because it's so ridiculous that the reporters themselves have just like thrown up their arms. Same thing with the tweets. It's harder and harder to get. There's so many more of them and they're so crazy, you know, other, other than like the few worst, which there are very bad ones, like saying that the New York Times needs to kneel down and beg for his forgiveness, for example. There's plenty of others like not quite that bad, but bad enough that just don't even get picked up by the media because we're in this chaos. But so this interview, which I did have the displeasure of having to read through with um, Sean Hannity, this happened on Thursday night. Trump called in. It's an hour long show and spoke to Sean Hannity for 45 minutes. This is a nine o'clock slot when a lot of people are watching. For 45 minutes of his show, Trump spoke to Sean Hannity. Here are some of the highlights or lowlights. Trump called the FBI probe into his 2016 campaign and the subsequent Mueller probe a coup, again using that word, coup, adding this was an attempted overthrow of the United States government. Trump said, Trump said he called the investigation, quote, the greatest political scandal in the history of our country. Again, bigger than Watergate because it means so much of this coup, this was an attempted coup. So Trump keeps using the word coup. Trump said Mueller went, quote, hog wild to find something, which obviously wasn't there, calling the investigation a one-sided witch hunt by angry Democrats who are very serious Trump haters. Once in a while, I just need to remind everybody Robert Mueller is a Republican, but I, you know, we all know this. I just, you know, for my own sanity, need to say it out loud. Trump said the reports found, quote, no collusion and also no obstruction. Again, a lie. Adding the statement was made in the attorney general, you know, understood it very well and made a decision right on the spot. Trump said the report did not mention Stroke and Page and McCabe and Comey and the lies and the leaks and overthrow. And the whole thing with Hillary Clinton got a win, 100 million to one, two lovers, two sick lovers. <laughs> okay. Trump also threatened to declassify the FISA court applications relating to the investigation of Russia meddling, saying everyone, everyone, everything is going to be declassified and much, much more. It will all be declassified. You know, and, and sometimes you just think these are ramblings of a crazy man, but we have to remember that Trump has already declassified information, which again, harms our national security. These are, you know, methods of how intelligence is gathered. Him declassifying again hurts our country, but alas. Uh, Trump also told Hannity, I watch you and Tucker. I watch Laura, your great guys in the morning, Steve and Ainsley and Brian. Brian came a long way. I kid about uh, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, and so all that happened on Thursday night. There was more to it, but that's sort of the low lights. And, and just something else I want to point out because we talk about the revolving door from Fox News to the White House. On Thursday, Abigail Slater, one of Trump's top tech advisors, resigned to take a job at Fox Corp as a senior vice president of policy and strategy. So apparently the door opens and closes both ways. Now I'm going to talk about Rod Rosenstein, who we saw last week, um, kind of looking very stoically behind William Barr when he held his press conference before releasing the Mueller report. People were joking about Rosenstein should like blink twice and let us know if he's alive. Uh, but he went on offense, very strong and very strange offense on Thursday, um, firing back at his critics for handling of the Mueller report in a speech at the Armenian Bar Association, likely one of his last speeches as a senior DOJ official. 
Rosenstein said the information disclosed in the Mueller report, quote, is only the tip of the iceberg of a comprehensive Russian strategy to influence elections, promote social discord, and undermine America. Rosenstein defended his handling of the Mueller probe and report, saying it's not our job to render conclusive factual findings. We just decide whether it is appropriate to file criminal charges. Rosenstein called out the Obama administration for not going public on Russia interference and how they relate to broader strategies to undermine America. He also attacked the FBI and Congress for leaks about the case. Rosenstein criticized Congress, politicians, and the media, saying there's not a Republican justice and a Democratic justice. There's only justice and injustice, referring to Trump in a, and referred to Trump in a positive manner. Rosenstein attacked the media, saying, quote, some of the nonsense that passes for breaking news today would not be worth the paper it was printed on. And defended, again, his deadpan facial expression standing behind bar, saying that basically, what did you expect me to do? That was all interesting. And then on Friday, the Washington Post reported on Rosenstein's efforts to protect Mueller while keeping his job. So reportedly, he repeatedly assured Trump that Trump would be treated fairly and that he was not a target and that he was on Trump's team. After the New York Times reporting that Rosenstein had suggested wearing a wiretap, he got teary-eyed ahead of a meeting with then-Chief of Staff John Kelly, saying, I give the investigation credibility, I can land the plane. Rosenstein, whose status in the White House had been fluid, reportedly begged Kelly I can go, I'm ready to go, I can resign, but I don't want to go out in a tweet. So again, the noteworthy part of all that to me is the fact that Rosenstein repeatedly told Trump that he would be treated fairly and that he was not a target and that he was on Trump's team. Just, again, strange things that you don't normally say. On Friday in the evening, White House counsel Pat Cipollone wrote in a letter to the ranking Republican, again, to the Republican, not to Elijah Cummings, who is the chair of that committee, but to the ranking Republican, Jim Jordan, on the House Oversight Committee, that Klein is, in fact, available to testify on May 1st, but the scope will be limited. As we closed out this week, we didn't know what the response would be from Cummings. And now with all that information, just to give you a sense on Friday where polling wise, lists left America. A poll was conducted by ABC News and the Washington Post. It found that 31% believe Trump is telling the truth about the Mueller investigation. Again, just 31%. 58% do not believe Trump is telling the truth. On obstruction, 47% believe Trump obstructed justice. 41% do not. Nonetheless, support for impeachment was at just 37%, a new low, with 56% opposing it. Democrats support impeachment by 62%, while independents were at 36% and Republicans at 10%. On whether Russia undermined the legitimacy of the 2016 election, 42% said yes and 49% said no. This is important. On whether foreign interference threatens the legitimacy of the 2020 election, 53% of Americans say yes, and 37% say no. The poll also found a huge gender gap in Trump's approval. Trump's overall approval in this poll was at 39%. Always seems to stay right around there. He's always between like 35, 40, low 40s. It's at 39%, but his approval with men is plus one, 47% approve, 46% disapprove. But with women, Trump is disapproved by 30 points. 32% of women approve of Trump, 62% disapprove. Also of interest, Trump's average approval rating of 38% through this point in his term is the lowest of any president in the poll. The other 12 presidents mentioned um, range from the second lowest being Ford at 47% to Kennedy at 73%. Trump is at 38%. So while all this is happening in the United States, 
What else happens? The picture that accompanies this week. Russian President Vladimir Putin and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un held their first summit. So just notice how diplomacy and global leadership is being displaced. And instead of the United States being a leader, now North Korea and Russia are meeting. And Putin said he will brief the U.S. and China raising his profile in the stalemate over North Korean denuclearization. On Thursday, as this was happening, the Washington Post reported the U.S. envoy sent to pick up Otto Wambier's body in 2017, he was still alive at that point, but in a comatose, was giving a $2 million bill for care of the student. The envoy was instructed by Trump to sign an agreement to pay the $2 million. But once you know it, CNN reported the Trump regime did not pay the $2 million. I mean, go figure. Trump doesn't pay anybody who does any work for his hotels or properties. He stiffs everybody, so why would he pay North Korea? Um, and North Korea has not raised this issue, supposedly, as it sought to ease tensions with the U.S. in 2018. On Friday, Trump tweeted the quote, quote, President Donald Trump, is the greatest hostage, hostage negotiator that I know of in the history of the United States. It was unclear who the quote was attributed to, even though Trump tweeted it as a quote. The Washington Post Googled and looked it up and couldn't find it mentioned anywhere. So it's Trump basically quoting himself in a tweet as the greatest hostage negotiator. But it gets better. Um, Trump also tweeted a part of this supposed quote that, quote, 20 hostages, many in impossible circumstances, have been released in the last two years. No money was paid. And then Trump added chief hostage negotiator USA, but misspelled chief, C-H-E-I-F, which made it trend on Twitter for a good portion of the day that in deranged Donald, um, George Conway's new name for Trump, which seemed to stick that same day. On Friday, this is just interesting, a Gallup poll found 20% of Russians, a record, would like to move to another country, including, and this is important, 44% of Russians aged 15 to 29 would like to leave Russia and move to another country. The top two countries mentioned were Germany and the United States. Um, and those who would like to leave were correlated with Putin's, with dislike for Putin. So um, then we go to Friday. All this happened, and then Friday, you know, oh, never a quiet day on Friday, even though, the, again, Congress wasn't in town. So you would expect this week's weekly list to be a short week because no one's around. 184 items. Anyway, on Friday, speaking to reporters before leaving the White House, Trump said, quote, I never told Don McGahn to fire Mueller. Again, that same lie again. If I wanted to fire Mueller, I would have done it myself. It's very simple. I had the right to. Trump said, quote, in the history of our country, there has never been a president that's been more transparent than me or the Trump administration. Adding, I let White House counsel Don McGahn testify. I let everyone testify. Also note, this week they have disagreed to allow people to testify or to supply information under subpoena, but he's the most transparent president. Trump also defended his very fine people on both sides comment in Charlottesville in response to a Joe Biden campaign video. Trump said, if you look at what I said, you will see that question was answered perfectly. He said, I was talking about people that went because they felt very strongly about the monument to Robert E. Lee, a great general, adding, whether you like it or not, he was one of the great generals. So we're not going to get into history here and how horrible of a statement that was. But it's just, you know, the fact that Trump is, again, defending his comments of like fine people on both sides, these same fine people that were yelling, Jews will not replace us, carrying tiki torches and beating up people of color and are clearly racist and anti-Semitic, but they're very fine people. They're these white supremacists. So this was happening on Friday. Just bookmark that. Also on Friday, then not surprisingly, national champions University of Virginia men's basketball team declined Trump's invitation to visit the White House just hours after Trump's statement on Charlottesville where the school's campus is located. 
So then Friday, Trump left there, that press conference that he did, impromptu conference or answering questions, to speak at the National Rifle Association, where he gave another one of these rambling, crazy speeches, railing against the Mueller probe, the corrupt news media, the bad apples at the Justice Department. Trump said the highest levels of government, quote, tried for a coup, didn't work out so well, adding, didn't need a gun for that one, did I? But just notice all the times this week that he's using the word coup and his his son is using the word coup. Rudy, everybody's using the word coup. Trump said Democrats are, quote, obsessed with hoaxes, delusions, and witch hunts instead of infrastructure and trade deals and renewed his pledge to repeal the Affordable Care Act. Also at that NRA, NRA speech, Trump announced the U.S. will withdraw from a United Nations arms treaty signed in 2013, which regulates conventional weapons, including small arms, battle tanks, combat aircraft, and warships. Experts warn withdrawal signals the U.S. is once again walking away from Americans' leadership role. Trump said, quote, we will never surrender, surrender American sovereignty to anyone, while the crowd chanted USA, USA. What the hell that means, surrendering American sovereignty? I, I, I don't know. But again, this points to a pattern of Trump withdrawing from these treaties um, and withdrawing from our leadership on the world stage. Increasingly isolationist. Shortly after Trump's speech at the NRA, the Wall Street Journal reported Wayne LaPierre, the NRA's CEO, said in a letter to the board sent Thursday that he is being extorted and extorted and pressured to resign by the organization's president, Oliver North. North said in a letter to the board himself on Thursday, according to the Wall Street Journal, that the actions were for the good of the NRA and he was forming a crisis committee to examine financial matters. And then on Saturday, Oliver North involuntarily resigned. So we, we send our thoughts and prayers to the NRA. Uh, Campaign Legal Action Center, a gun safety group um, associated with Gabby Giffords, sued the Federal Election Commission for failing to act on its complaints that the NRA improperly coordinated political spending with Trump and other Republicans. A significant FEC investigation requires four commissioners to vote to approve the move. Under Trump, the six-member board has has two vacancies, which means they only have four commissioners, which means that partisan gridlock has ensued. And so we're not getting any information on all that NRA dark money that didn't go to, that went to Trump. Don't forget, $30 million went to Trump versus $12 million that went to Romney and how unusually high that was and how much of that is dark money that has not been accounted for. Uh, again, that Gabby Giffords groups asked the FDC to investigate that and they have sat on it because Two of the seats are vacant and they need four votes. So, uh, it, you know, again, I, I opened, I mentioned this in the open, but reading from the New York Times editorial board that summarized Trump's behavior this week, saying that he shows a new level of contempt um, against Congress, uh, invoking privilege, um, not in certain cases, as other presidents have done, but voting, uh, vowing not to cooperate in any congressional inquiry. Um, and we talked about, again, just going to repeat this, the Times boards wrote, he's effectively declaring lawmakers powerless over him. This warn the experts, puts our nation in uncharted territory and threatens to erode its democratic foundations. On Wednesday, CNN reported that Deutsche Bank began the process of turning over Trump's financial records to New York Attorney General Letitia James in response to a subpoena. Um, That's something Trump cannot get in the way of. So watch Letitia James, watch Southern District of New York. Activity continues there. Um, And this was really weird. On Thursday, a federal judge said Christopher Hassan, remember him? He's from a few weeks ago, including the picture of all the guns and weapons that he had in his home. The Coast Guard officer who had been indicted on weapons and drug charges and accused of a terror plot will be released from detention awaiting trial. Really bizarre move. On Friday, Representative Maxine Waters, one of his targets that was mentioned in his weird manifesto of sorts, said in a statement, there's no credible justification for a judge allowing someone who is clearly dangerous and unrepentant to walk free. 
On Friday, Russian Maria Butina was given the maximum sentence of 18 months in prison for failing to register as a foreign agent and conspiring to infiltrate Republican political circles for the Kremlin. After the hearing, a lawyer for Butina said he disagreed strongly with the sentence and said the case was marked by complete and utter Russia-phobia. She will be deported after her sentence. But again, just noteworthy that infiltration happened through the NRA. Watch the NRA. Watch Deutsche Bank. Um, just some things I want to close out this week. We talked about the UVA basketball team not visiting the White House and that being not normal. And they're going to miss out on their cheeseburgers and McDonald's food and all the rest. We talked about the White House correspondence dinner, which Trump did not attend the third year in a row. Uh, on Friday, a spokesperson for the Council of Chief State School Officers said Trump is not expected this year to attend the National Teacher of the Year award ceremony. So that was also unusual. Um, on Take Your Kids to Work Day, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders spent 28 minutes talking with children. The Washington Post calculated that so far in 2019, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders has spent 82 minutes briefing the White House press. That's amazing. This is also unusual. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce said it will disentangle its brand from the GOP for the first time in 40 years, citing the party's move to protectionism, nativism, and isolationism under Trump. And then closing out the week on Saturday, Trump tweeted, congratulations to Nick Bosa on being picked number two in the NFL draft. Noteworthy, Nick is white. The number one draft pick, Kyler Murray, is a black man. It was not mentioned by Trump. Trump tweeted to Bosa, who was playing for the San Francisco 49ers, always stay true to yourself. Bosa has had to apologize and delete past tweets about Colin Kaepernick including one where he called him a, quote, clown. So this is what the leader of our country was doing on Saturday morning. After saying, defending his comments on Charlottesville, after not cooperating with Congress during the week. Um, and then I just want to sort of close out, and, and I, I'm going to put this in some context of what's happening globally, um, but as Trump has defended the people in Charlottesville, we closed out this week with the second um, mass shooting at a synagogue in the United States in six months. Um, it was just happening as this week was drawing to a close. We know at this point one died and three were wounded during a shooting at a Passover celebration at the Kabad of Poway Synagogue in San Diego. It's exactly six months to the day in Pittsburgh, but again, a religious holiday. Police detained a white male, 19, for questioning. Uh, he cited the same pattern as the shooting in Pittsburgh and also the one in New Zealand. Um, you know, garden variety, anti-Semitism. This one was not even necessarily politically aligned. He was not behind Trump because Trump was seemingly too pro-Israel for him. He just hated Jews. Um, and Trump closed out the week, calling it a hate crime, hard to believe, and my deepest sympathies, but also some other anti-Semitism to just kind of note around the world. Uh, on Saturday, the New York Times issued an apology for using a cartoon in its international edition showing the Israeli prime minister as a wiener dog with a star of David dog collar leaning around Trump wearing a skull cap. And then on Easter in Poland, the, we now know the attorney general is investigating and opened a criminal investigation into an anti-Semitic activity over the Easter holiday, which involved an effigy of a stereotypical Jew being hanged, beaten, and set on fire. So that's where we are today, folks. Congress heads back this week uh, after being away for two weeks. We're hoping for some fireworks. We're hoping for some accountability. But as we sit here today, closing out episode 46 and week 128, Trump is more irreverent than ever. He's not being held to account. Um, he seems to be skating away from the Mueller probe and continuing to consolidate power. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week. Everyone have a good one and stay involved and stay engaged and stay awake.